everybody. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. That's where we'll be today. Um, so as I studied John chapter 7, uh, I was excited because I learned a lot. And, uh, and all this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the celebration that they're, uh, the festival that they're celebrating here in this chapter. Um, there's so much just below the surface. There's so much fun. There's so much depth. And the genius of John's writing, led by the Spirit, and then the words and actions of Jesus. Um, and then I'm supposed to give this all to you in 25 minutes. So there's a problem there. But I'm going to try to get it done. I've drank a lot of espresso. I'm going to turn up the speed uh, a little bit. Uh, no, I got through it. I, I don't know. I think we were good last, last service. We, we did pretty good. I'm all over the place, though, so try and keep up and bear with me at the same time. If I don't get through it, later on, I'll be in La Tolteca, and uh, we can finish it there. So um, my kids have uh, gotten to the fort building stage. Anybody still in that stage where they like to build forts? Um, right now, we're still using cushions <laughs> and blankets and books there to hold up the faith. And, uh, and, and it's great. You get to have your own little thing that you built in your corner of the house. And you, it's like you, have, you take pride in that and you can sting of it, even though it's like, it's confining. It's like worse than time out to me, but it's like, but it's like theirs and they built it and it's great. And so, like I remember growing up, you know, you started with the cushions and then you graduated to outdoors and you started building things with wood and sticks. And uh, I lived in Florida, so we had lots of palm fronds and we got good with uh, making like even an incline roof, like shingles with the palm fronds and the water would run down. And, um, and so sometimes outside you use tarps and you, and you use a brick to hold down the tarp in the middle of the top. And I want to caution you to watch out for falling bricks, just so you know. Um, see, we got books and those will hurt a little bit, but bricks hurt worse. Uh, so, so forts. Forts is fun. You know, you like to build something and call it your own. And like, like you might even sleep outside even though your room is like 50 feet away. And you're like out there for like three hours. And then you're like, I'm going inside. I can't handle this anymore. But like, so, so we like to build and we like the adventure. And we have a God who does the same thing. He likes sports. He likes camping. Um, he loves us enough to come camp with us in the wilderness. And those 40 years that, we, that the Israelites spent in the desert, uh, he says that wasn't a mistake. That's to be celebrated. That's what this festival is that we're going to look at today. So we're looking at John chapter 7, uh, where Jesus attends this festival. And uh, really, this festival was pointing towards him. It was all about him. And so we're going to look at this festival, and we're going to look at the perfect timing of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we, we uh, acknowledge that you have provided for us in the past, that you are the very breath that sustains us right now, that you continue to provide for us as we go into our future. Uh, we're, uh, God, we, we acknowledge that we're just wandering through the wilderness, we're living in tents, and that this life in this world is not all that there is, and that its systems, the systems of this world are not the way you want us to work. There's a reality that exceeds what we can see. Lord, we believe that Jesus will return. We believe that you are establishing your kingdom and that you will dwell among us when all is said and done. Lord, change us as we live in your kingdom and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is the festival of Sukkot. That's the Hebrew word. The, the Feast of the Tabernacles or Tents or Booths. Um, whatever the, the translation is that you have. Verse 1 and 2 of John chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were trying to take his life. Okay, so that's a good life lesson number one. If someone's trying to kill you, don't go to, to them, right? You stay away from that person that's trying to kill you. Um, 
that, that could be the lesson, but then Jesus later on goes to the people that are trying to kill him. So there could be another lesson there about if you're following Jesus, maybe you're going to go into danger. But that's a whole other sermon, and uh, we've got to stay on track. So, um, okay, so verse 1 and 2. And then it says, but, the, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, that's the end of verse 2. Um, so we have this festival. This is, this is the setting. You know, these people that are trying to kill Jesus, so he's staying away. Um, but today I want to focus on uh, what I want to bring out of the text is the fun and the beauty that is surrounding uh, in this festival. I want to talk about the brilliant timing of Jesus and the comfort that it is when um, no matter what, we have some sort of shelter. And the comfort it will be that one day we're going to pack up our tents and we're going to return to our, our nice comfortable bed one day. Um, so now, um, God is all about remembering, okay? Um, we, we do things to help us remember, right? right? We take pictures and we, we have uh, videotapes and stuff from, from long ago. Uh, I just remembered a video. Like, can I sidetrack for a second? I just remembered a video of me um, singing New Kids on the Block. Um, that's, that's a confession, I'm sorry. I confess. I liked New Kids on the Block. Um, and I was Joey, and so I was singing, and my grandma was recording me, and my cousins. Okay, but I, I, I repented. I repented, and now everything is, is better. I promise. But New Kids on the Block, they did a reunion to it. I almost went. I almost fell back into my evil ways. Uh, no. Okay. So... So we remember, uh, we take pictures, we hang them on our walls, we make scrapbooks, we do all these things. Well, God was interested in his people remembering their history. And so um, they, they did things like they set up memorials or altars. They would stack up a stack of rocks when they did something cool. Uh, like when they won a battle or they crossed over into the promised land, they would make a stack of rocks. And that stack of rocks would be there and, and they could come back and tell their kids about it. Like, look at this stack of rocks. Isn't that a nice stack of rocks? Uh, but that would remind them of, of something in their history. And then, um, so they would make, make stuff. They, would, they also repeated scriptures or sayings or prayers, uh, like the Shema, which is the Jewish prayer that they recited over and over again throughout the day. And, then, and it would remind them about who God is and who they are uh, as they follow God. Um, and then there's, God um, establishes these festivals, these holidays. So there's all these ways to make us remember. And so today we're going to talk about this festival called Sukkot. And it's the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles. And this feast um, was all God's idea. And it's prescribed in um, Leviticus 23, uh, 39 through 43. If you want to look at that in your Bible, that'd be cool too, so you can see what's going on. Um, what God said to do and, and how this festival that's still going on that Jesus is attending, which is really, like I said, all about him. So in, this, in the midst of this festival, it's a, um, it's a fall festival. They had spring festivals. And fall festivals, and this is the last of the fall festivals, so they're entering into winter. Okay, so you have this, um, they're celebrating a harvest, but they're also looking forward ahead into winter, hoping that that harvest will last them through winter, and that they'll have another good harvest come spring. And so there's, um, there's this need, that there's this idea that God has provided for us, look at what, what we've just harvested, harvested, and then there's this idea that we still need his provision, because we're heading into winter, and we're going to need another Harvest. So we're thankful for what we got, and we're praying for uh, the same thing come spring. So you're looking behind and looking ahead. And, um, and so uh, this particular festival, God wants, his dis wants us to remember uh, how our descendants lived in tents. God had them live in tents in the desert for 40 years as they wandered around after he delivered them from Egypt. 
and we're celebrating this. We're celebrating what they complained about back then. You know, I'm wandering in the desert for 40 years. God, what are you doing? Um, God's celebrating this. He made a He made a holiday to celebrate it because God didn't save us from slavery to make us comfortable. All right, He didn't save us to make things easy. All right, He saved us so that we could be His people. And I don't know about you, but when you go camping with somebody. You become people. <laughs> you become good friends by the end of that um, camp. And that's what God did. He camped with them for 40 years. And that's what made God's people his people. Like they bonded through that 40 years. Um, even though they did complain about it quite a bit. So there's this, there's this 40 years of God providing for them as they wander through the desert. And so God makes this festival. Um, and so that we can remember these things. And this is, a, this is a, an experience. God puts us in the midst of an experience to remind us of this truth. And so you're, you're to uh, experience this truth. And sometimes we spiritualize things a little too much. And, um, and, and with, for God, it's all connected, the spiritual and the physical. There really isn't a separation there. And so he knows that he made us physical beings. And so when we experience something, uh, something physical that we learn better that way and so it's, it's the difference between knowing about something like I know about stuff and I can describe it to you and I can tell you all about it and and then there's things that, um, that I, know. I don't know about them I know them because I've experienced it and I have this intimate connection with these experiences and maybe I can't explain these things to you I could try but you would you would just know about it you'd have to experience it for yourself so there's a difference between knowing about and knowing, and God puts us in this festival, and and through these uh, through these experiences, so that we can know Him intimately. Okay, so God institutes this festival in Leviticus twenty three, and He uses the word celebrate three times. He says, "I want you uh, for seven days to rejoice before the Lord." Okay, so seven days of rejoicing before the Lord. Um, they're there's um, they're camping out, they're rejoicing, dancing every day. Uh, and, and they're doing all these things. And so this is a party. Like, make no mistake. This, our God likes camping out, making forts, and partying. So that's, that's the kind of God that we serve. And so there's two uh, mitzvot, two commands in this, um, in this holiday. The, the one is you're to live in tents for seven days, and the other is known as the four species, which has to do with shaking fruit and tree branches, which is fun. It's party. Okay, so God is saying, I want to party, and I want it to be bigger than Woodstock. We'll call it Godstock, all right? And so, so they come together. They come from all corners of the, the kingdom there and, and celebrate in Jerusalem. And that's what's going on here in John chapter 7. We're celebrating this festival. And we're looking forward to the next harvest. We're living in tents. We're offering a bunch of sacrifices that are prescribed in Leviticus 23. Um, and so God has provided so that we can offer these sacrifices. And we're remembering how he camped with us in the wilderness, and he's gotten us through before, and he'll get us through again. So this, this festival, let's look at the booths. The booths, um, they have to have three walls. This is like, like, you can actually make them on the fire escapes. They have three walls, and they're connected to like their existing living space. And uh, the booths, uh, they have to have three walls, and they have to have a leaky roof. Like, I think that's, that's funny that God like prescribes this. Like, you're going to build booths, and here's how you're going to do it. Leaky roof. Like, not even a good proper roof. Um, so the sukkah has to have a three walls, and it has to have a leaky roof. And it has to be able to see the stars through the roof. So when you're sleeping, the person sleeping in there has to um, be able to see the stars. Now there's two views on, on, on what, in, according to the Talmud and rabbinical teaching, 
there are two views of what these structures are. One is um, that they are actual uh, reinterpretations of the huts that they lived in in the desert. And so the application would be that no matter how, how hard life gets, there's always some sort of shelter. Right? Even though we haven't arrived at our destination, we're still going through this process, we have this sort of shelter. And then there's a, a more um, mystical view of what these are. And so in the desert, when they were uh, wandering for 40 years, God's presence, they were encamped within God's presence. He led them by a cloud and fire at night. And so this is, they're saying that these booths that we build are, uh, are symbolizing God's presence. And so we're building this to, to uh, symbolize us living, entering into God's presence and living there. And so there's this more mystical view um, that, um, that is recorded as the more normative view uh, it's the one which guides how contemporary Sukkot are built. The Sukkah of today is a vision brought to life of what it means to experience divine protection. And the defining feature of this construction is that it must have a leaky roof. In other words, divine protection is many things, but it does not insulate us from every undesirable thing in the world, nor does it blind us to the beauty of those things which lie beyond it. Okay, so those are the booths. Um, and, then, and then we have the four species. Now the four species are these four elements, and, and together they're called the lulav and the itrog. Now the itrog is a, is a piece of fruit, kind of like a lemon, but they say there's really no fruit in them. It's mostly all rind, so uh, they're not fun to eat, but apparently they're fun to shake, because that's what that's what's doing them. Um, and then um, a palm frond, which represents our body, a myrtle tree represents our eye, and a willow branch represents our mouth. And so together, putting all these things together reminds us that it takes our whole being to serve our God, and we're to follow God with everything that we are. And so this is shaking the lulav and the itrog reminds us that it takes all of us to follow God. Now this can be very worshipful, like very like there's a, there's a perfect proper way to shake the lulav, and you're supposed to do that on the first day, and then every rest of the day it gets more. Uh, celebrational and joyous, and by the end they're just celebrating and shaking it all kinds of ways. And here's a video of people in Israel actually shaking the lulav and they try to Something, um, something childlike and uh, a party going on in this in this festival. Uh, a friend who celebrates these Jewish festivals said this: "says I find the contrast to Sukkot next to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur amazing. We just spent ten days, ten heavy days of Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, 
immersed in intensive introspection, probing the depth of our souls to uncover our flaws and confront our mistakes, expressing heartfelt remorse for our wrongdoings and courageously committing ourselves to long-lasting change. Then the very next day after Yom Kippur, we're out and about playing uh, like playful children, admiring the beauty of nature, looking at etrogs and palm branches and willows and myrtles, and we are building and decorating clubhouses, the sukkah. So this is the setting. You've got this playful, almost party uh, going on in Jerusalem, and Jesus um, is waiting for the right time to make his way to the festival. Uh, verse three through five, Jesus' brothers said to him, you wanna leave here? and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to be, uh, become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. So you have his brothers. Um, there's kind of a, a hint of jealousy here. There's kind of a hint of sarcasm. It's like they want Jesus to go and fail. They want to see Jesus go. I, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? It's like, Parents always, why can't you be like Jesus? He's perfect. You know, like, like it'd probably be pretty tough for his brothers. And so they're they're jealous, and they're um, and, and they're telling him what their view of success is. Like, here's what you need to do. If you need, if you want to make it big, you got to go to the city. You know, you got to make it big in New York City or Nashville or whatever the case may be, Hollywood. And so they tell Jesus this, and uh, and sometimes our view of success doesn't line up with God's view of success. Here's what Jesus says to him, verse 6 through 10. Uh, Therefore Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers, his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret, like a ninja. No, he doesn't say like a ninja. Um, I could just see Jesus being, okay. All right, so uh, verse 6 to 10, we have this word um, for time. It's not the same word that he uses elsewhere when he says, my time has not yet come. Like when he uh, turned water into wine, he said to his mom, my time has not yet come. And, uh, but the, the word he used there is different. That, the word, that word's more of an appointed time the appointed time that he would die for all mankind, okay? Uh, so this word is kairos, and it's, uh, it's more of the idea of, of, a, uh, of good timing, like the right time. It's like comedic timing, you know, you say the punchline at the right moment, and that way the joke works. Um, or like the difference between a foul ball and a home run. You swing too early, it goes foul. If you swing late, it's, uh, I mean, if you swing the right time, it could be a good hit, all right? So it's all about being at the right place, at the right time. And so, um, let's see what the right time is for Jesus. Down in 14 is when he finally gets to the festival. Now, uh, not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts to begin to teach. Now, halfway through the feast, this is interesting because each day they celebrate a different uh, historical figure in their history. Okay, so you start with day one, Abraham. Day two, Isaac, Jacob, Middle, middle of the week, halfway through the festival, Moses, okay? Moses is the day that he shows up on and starts to teach. So, so what's, the, what's the timing here? The timing is, I'm the next Moses. I'm the next one God is sending to deliver you out of, deliver you from yourself, deliver you from your sin, your slavery uh, that you are in. And so 
Jesus' timing is perfect. He's saying, I'm the next Moses. And he, and he gives teachings, and, and the people are amazed at his teachings. They don't understand how he can have um, these teachings. And so um, we go through, and there's some, some more dialogue and some more arguing going on between them about who Jesus is. And they try to seize him. And um, in verse 30, we see uh, the other word time. It says, they tried to seize him, uh, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. And he was like a ninja. They didn't touch him. I just, like, can't believe me. Okay, sorry. Um, so Jesus, uh, it wasn't his appointed time in verse 30. Okay, so we have Jesus with this timing of showing up halfway through the feast, and he started teaching. Um, and then there's all, all these arguments that take place over who he is and, um, and, and what his teaching uh, comes from. And, and then we come to uh, verse 37. And, uh, and this, this takes place, Jesus uh, says this on the last and greatest day. It says, uh, yeah. on the last and greatest day of the feast. Okay, the last and greatest day of the feast, we have a few things going on, and I need my notes. Yeah, two pictures. Okay, so we have, um, I got two pictures. This is, this is water, and this is my version of water into wine. I just put food coloring in it, so it's probably not very good. Um, so you have two pitchers. The whole festival are displayed on the altar in the temple, uh, one of water and one of wine. Now, the water represents the need for rain this coming season so we can have another harvest. All right, so, so we need this water. God, we're asking you to provide again like you provided before. Now, wine had become a symbol of God's provision. When you have wine, obviously God has been providing well. And so you have the need for water to water the grapes, which will become wine okay so you got the two pictures and um and, and during the feast they have a teaching each day different teachings different scriptures read uh throughout the feast and on this day uh, let me give you a couple uh one of them read was read from jeremiah and it's found in 17 verse 13 it says this the hope of israel all oh you O lord are the hope of israel all who forsake you will be put to shame those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Okay, so there's a lot of water teaching going on this day. Another one that would have been read is Isaiah 12, verse 2 and 3. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Again, another reference to water. And what's interesting is, is this idea of, of writing in the dust, um, which would have been read this last day of the festival. The next day, Jesus is teaching in the temple. So day before you hear, if you turn away from God, you'll be written in the dust. The next day, Jesus is in the temple. They bring a, a woman caught in adultery. And what does Jesus do? He goes down and writes in the dust. So there's this connection that the people would have just heard this passage. And then they, they see Jesus writing in the dust. And we always, we always ask, what was he writing in the dust? Well, if we, if we remember Jeremiah 17, 13, those who forsake the Lord will be written in the dust. So it's pretty clear uh, what Jesus was writing in the dust, the people who have turned away from the Lord. Okay, so there's these teachings about the Messiah who will come, will be like water. He will be salvation. He will be like wells uh, of, of salvation for your soul. Um, and so on the last day, the, uh, the, the water pitcher would be emptied. And, and the, the priest would walk down to the Pool of Siloam. Now, I referenced the Pool of Siloam in a 
previous sermon, where the coolest one is where Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And in order to do this, he spits on the ground, makes mud, rubs mud in the guy's face, and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, this pool um, had significance because the Jews understood that pool um, to be uh, the Messiah would do a second sign of Siloam. Now, the first sign of Siloam was when Isaiah, uh, it said, it's a story that says that he was uh, dying in the wilderness and called out to God, and God saved him by bringing him a drink of water from the pool of Siloam. And that was the first sign of Siloam. Now the story goes on to say the second sign of Siloam will be an indication of who the Messiah is. So that was Jesus' second sign of Siloam, saying, hey, that's me, I'm the Messiah. And so the, uh, during this, uh, the, the priest goes down to the pool of Siloam, down from the temple, he takes the pitcher, and he fills up the water, uh, fills up the pitcher with water, and he's walking back up the steps of the temple. Now during this, the, um, the lulafs and the e-trucks e are shaking, the people are shouting, Hoshana, 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 and they're getting louder and louder as he, as he approaches the altar, okay? So let's, let's try this. Hoshana, 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 and then he gets to, to the altar, and he pours both the pitcher of wine and the pitcher of water on the altar, and a, a stream of red, a river of red flows down the altar, down the temple steps. And um, they're reminded of, of John 19, when Jesus is on the cross and his side is pierced, what does the text say? A sudden burst of blood and, and water flowed. And so, so the blood represented here, the blood represented here in communion that we'll take later, the blood and the wine has, has deep connection to, to the history, to the Old Testament, to this festival that they're, that they're celebrating here. So all of this, um, so in all of this, the, the shouting, the chanting of Hoshana, Jesus says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now, that, that detail, loud voice, like that's because everybody was shouting Hoshana. He had to say it in a loud voice. I love the little details when you find out later, oh, that's because everybody's chanting Hoshana. Okay, in a loud voice, what does he say? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow <coughs> within him. And so I think this would have gotten everybody's attention. They'd just been taught about water, and they'd just seen the, the river of red flow from the altar. And Jesus says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me. The perfect timing of Jesus gets their attention. All right? If, if, if you deny this Messiah... You don't get the water, and all you're, and all you're left with is dust. You understand? Um, so those who deny the Messiah, then they will be written in the dust. Those who accept him, we continue to celebrate communion. We continue to drink from the wells of salvation. So Jesus' timing is perfect. <coughs> so I wonder how, how we think about our timing. I wonder if we need to think about things in our life where maybe the time isn't right, and maybe the middle of the week is coming when the right time is. And, and, and maybe we need to think about our timing. Maybe we do things out of order all the time. And I think, I think in this moment, in this community of faith here at Williamsburg Christian Church, when we're looking for a new uh, lead minister, our timing is something we need to think about. We need to think about Jesus making the decision not to go to the festival 
at, at the beginning. What, what is the right time? We need to be at the right place at the right time, and we need to be able to hear God's voice in all of this. So God wants us to intentionally go low tech, right? He wants us uh, to live in a tent for a week, right? We, we leave the comforts, the routines of our normal living area, and we move out into a tent that has a leaky roof, and then we can see stars. And, and when we leave all of this, all of, sometimes it just becomes noise. We're, we're so in tune with, with our routines that, that we miss the still small voice. It might be shouting, but we can't hear over the noise. But when we, when we leave the comfort, and we step into a, a sukkah, or, or whatever it may be, whatever it is that we need to get rid of, whatever noise it is that, that we need to get rid of to hear that small voice telling us when's the right time, where's the right place for me to be, what's the right direction for me to go. And so, so the challenge here, God's saying, step out of all of this, Come out, come out here into nature. Let's let's celebrate. Let's have a party. And maybe you'll begin to think a little clearer about what it is that you're supposed to be doing with your life. Right? You need to block out some noise. You need to be listening for his spirit. And that's where the clarity arrives and we can see what life is supposed to be. The life that he's called us to live. We need to think about the next right step for this community. We need to think about the next right step for us as individuals. And that can happen when we, when we live in our sukkah for a week. So I want to give you that challenge. What is it? What, maybe it's a, a technology or something in your life that's, that's calling noise. Maybe it's a routine that you do um, that is getting in your way from hearing God's voice. You know, maybe it's something that, that's pretty important, but maybe it's not really the right time and right place for you to be doing those things. Now, um, we need to do this. We need to actually get rid of noise. We need to have this experience of, of clearing some things away, which is what they were doing here at this festival. We need to experience this truth. We need to experience the, the truth that God provides for us. He provides for us not opportunities to be comfortable and lazy, but opportunities for growth. He, he provides opportunities for us to see his guidance and, and experience his guidance through the wilderness, not escape it. He delivers us from, our, from slavery to sin so that we can camp out with him. And he takes care of the big things. He provided food and water for them in the desert. He provided guidance for them. Uh, he provided his presence for them. In Deuteronomy 29, Moses is reminding the people of how God provided uh, for them in the desert. And, and he said, have you noticed your sandals? Have you noticed your shirt? They haven't worn out. It's been 40 years and your clothes haven't worn out. God is even interested in the details. He's even interested in those little things that maybe we don't even notice that's going on. Moses draws our attention back to the details. We have a God who, come, who comes down and he camps with us, cares, he takes care of the big things, and he even takes care of the details. In John 1, there's a specific word. Uh, he borrows language uh, from the Old Testament, and he, and he uses the word, uh, the word, Came flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now that word dwelling is tabernacle or tent or booth. Same word that we're using today. Um, so here's what God did, right? He came down, he camped with us. This is what God did for us. This is so we can never say, God, you don't know what I'm going through. God, you don't understand how hard it is when friends and family are sick. When when people 
disappoint me, when people fail me. Now, you don't know how hard it is um, to go through these things when people die because of disease. God's got a tent. And he came and camped with us in the wilderness. God did it so we can't say that. He, he lived a perfect life and he suffered the abuse. Now in Revelation 21, we're describing heaven in, in the same language. God, God came down and made his dwelling. Now God's dwelling will be with men. His tent, his tabernacle. So this dwelling, our dwelling right now, Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 5, our body, he refers to it as a tent. It's just temporary, all right? But there's a building not built by human hands, right? And if you've ever been camping, you know, like, like camping could never be over soon enough <laughs> for me. Like, like, it's exciting, and you're out, and then, like, the next day, it rained all night, and, like, you're floating on the air mattress, which you probably shouldn't even have. Like, we went to the beach, you know, and you're, and every time we do our beach camp trip, it's, it's just ridiculous. Just rain and like strong winds, and the, you go to the beach. You're like, beach, yeah, but the wind's blowing so hard that the sand is stinging your sunburned legs. Um, and so, so you're camping, and by and by day number two, uh, you're like, man, I can't wait to get home. And and uh, Jim Gaffigan, anybody, uh, the comedian Jim Gaffigan talks about camping. He says, you know, the term happy camper. He's like, where did that come from? Because like there is no such thing as a happy camper. Uh, he's like, why don't we just call him a camper? That guy's not a happy camper. You just call him a camper. He's like, the happy camper, that's the guy leaving the campground. He just took a shower. <laughs> so, uh, so exactly, we got, so, so, and then you get home, and like, like, you notice like, the texture of your sheets, like the clean sheets, compared to the like, the sweaty, sticky, bug sheets that you were sleeping in. So it's like, so it's like this difference. It's like, oh, you sleep, you lay down in that bed, it's like, oh, it's beautiful. And so I wonder like, what it's going to be like when, uh, when heaven happens and we're leaving. I wonder if it's going to be like, I'm in heaven, or if it's going to be like, these sheets are awesome. You know, <laughs> like this could be. Um, but we can, we can only imagine, right? And then, um, but the problem I have is with this tent, um, with my tent, I don't know about you guys, but I try to, uh, I try to make improvements. Like, can we get air conditioning in this tent? Maybe a microwave? Uh, we can, you know, a nice comfy air mattress. We try to fool ourselves from the reality that this is temporary. Okay, we're not we're not staying here. We don't need to get comfortable. Um, we're, we're we're just camping out. All right. We don't need cable in this tent or whatever whatever modern technologies will make this tent better. Um, and so uh, so we're just camping, and uh, and God is a God who has gotten in a tent, and He says um, He says I'm gonna I'm gonna make this journey with you. All right. This is this is a wilderness, and I'm gonna I'm gonna camp out with you. I'm gonna join you in that wilderness. And so here we are, uh, 40 years in the desert, uh, wandering, and and God is providing for the big things. God is caring for the details. And we come to this festival, and uh, and, and Jesus attends this festival that is really all about Him. And uh, and, and the two pitchers. And the shaking of the rhubarb and the mitra, and the, the camping out in tents, and and we're we're celebrating this wandering in the wilderness. Will you guys stand with me. This is a time uh, in our service where uh, we we act because uh, we believe the word of God um, 
needs to be acted upon. You, you put this into practice. This isn't something you can read and go away and, and live the same way. This is something that we put into practice. And so we offer this invitation as a way to offer you uh, an opportunity to come put it into action. You can come and ask for prayer and we can surround you and be uh, that family of God that you need. You can, uh, you can come up here maybe for the first time. You, you're not a Christian yet and you want to know more about it or you're ready to make that next step and follow Jesus. Uh, this is the time that we do that. Uh, or, or maybe you're, you're a Christian and you don't have a church family to go on this journey through the wilderness with you. And, and we want to join you in that. We want you to join us because we need you and uh, you need us. That's what God gave us. He gave us this church. Uh, and we need each other. So today uh, we're going to sing. And if, and if you have that decision to make, if you need prayer, if you, uh, if you need uh, support, somebody to hold you accountable, 